Uh, good morning. We are, uh, you know, I want to try this again. Uh, we're using this app called Online Questions, and um, here we have it, the, the code. If you want to go to that on your phone, if you have a question during the sermon, uh, we're going to, I'm going to stop just uh, before the conclusion to address any questions that come up for you. This is just something that we want to try if you would like to interact that way. This is the code that you put in there to, to join us. Uh, if you would like. Okay, well, yes, it is Father's Day. You know, I was thinking this morning of a story. I was I was uh, speaking a little while ago with a young man who was talking to me and telling me about his addiction to pornography, and he was struggling with this and telling me that you know I'm not I'm not going to date a girl until I have this um, until this whole thing is eradicated from my life. I don't feel like it's fair, you know, and uh, I was kind of challenging them there, and I said, you know, you know, there are different issues here, but uh, w- one of the things you need to think about is getting married. Uh, you need to get married. Uh, it's it's part of your problem here, and he was thinking, yeah, that was kind of a shock to him. Like uh, he he wasn't thinking. Uh, in those terms at all. I said, certainly there are issues to address in responding to temptation here, but uh, a big piece of the puzzle here is that, you know, the lock isn't meeting the key. You, uh, you're needing to be in a relationship, and this uh, desire that you have initially, a good desire, something that should be helping you and inspire you to come to a place where you're doing the things to make yourself marriageable. And uh, this is something, you know, this was like a surprise to him that that I would be bringing this up. I was encouraging him to take some steps in manhood uh, here. And it's kind of an appropriate subject today as we come to Father's Day. I do want to say happy Father's Day to you. Father's right in front of me here. Um, it's It's a good cultural thing that we're doing. I want to affirm this. You know, a lot of things I see going on in the culture I don't like. But I really want to affirm the things that are good that our culture does. And this is one of them. You know, it, it's uh, when our culture tries to minimize gender in the name of equality, a lot of times these things like motherhood and fatherhood get, get denigrated. And uh, here's something that I, I think we should really uh, praise. So we're making a, a deal of it here, um, just like we did with Mother's Day a few, a few weeks ago, to, to focus on fathers and men. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want to read a passage in light of my pastoral experience in dealing with men and with fathers. I want to speak specifically today to men and to those of you who are parents of men as well. And we're going to do it in this passage that we're going to read uh, that's a familiar passage, but we're going to read it uh, genderly in this regard. So, uh, I want to ask you to stand and invite Mark up to read to us from 1 Samuel chapter 2 about the call of Samuel and 3. Good morning. I'll be reading several verses from 1 Samuel from the English Standard Version. Starting with chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. 
And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Now verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. Now chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. and Samuel was lying down temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to tell Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. 
And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. More also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. So, the son is brought forth to become the kingmaker. God needed a man to do the work of making a kingship happen in Israel. And so this son is brought forth to grow into that role, to, to be able to apprehend the mission. And, you know, we didn't read um, all of the parts, but if you read chapters 2 and 3 into chapters 4, there's a conspicuous interlacing, if I could call it that, of, of two different stories. Uh, and, the, and the stories are, the stories of, the one story is about the sons of Eli, the natural sons of Eli, and the other story is about what's going on with Samuel. And you, you could take some time actually just read through these. It's, it becomes very obvious uh, what's going on. On the one hand, you have, oh, the sons of Eli are doing these terrible things in, with the sacrificial meat uh, in worship. They're stabbing their fork in. They're taking what they want. They're, they're doing badly. And Samuel's mother is bringing him this coat. And, uh, you know, he is, he's growing in, in uh, the service of the Lord. And, Samuel, and Eli's sons are, uh, you know, they're being rebuked by their father. And he is, they're not listening. They're kind of shoving him off. You know, bad things are going on with that. And Samuel is growing in stature with man and with God. You know, so you, it's this zebra of contrasts. You have a, a, a picture of degeneration uh, contrasted with a picture of, of maturation, right? You have Eli's sons, the natural sons are going down, down, down. And Samuel is going up, up, up. So it's a story of this maturation, of this growth that's going on in the one who is going to apprehend the mission. And so verse 26, we can see that in that statement that's being made. He's growing in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the man. You know, that kind of gives us the, the key kind of interpretation of what's going on here. It's a story of this growth. And, and if you allow me, I'd like to look at this as a template for growth into manhood. Like this is what actually it's like to be maturing as a man. It's something very important because there's an important mission here and Samuel rises to the occasion. So it's helpful for us to take a look out of it. And, and to do that, I'm going to go to a certain place that's, that's kind of private for men. Okay, I actually did this a few weeks ago for Mother's Day and appreciate you allowed me to do that, to go into a, a space that was kind of private and, and vulnerable for women. And I did that to help, help us to see that, that Jesus Christ is there 
for every phase, you remember, of a woman's life at every place, even those private places that are maybe uncomfortable and problematic at times when a woman is maturing. Well, I'm going to do the same thing today for the guys, for the men. Um, I want to ask you to listen to me, though, because I love you, and I think there's something important for us to learn here um, as I look at this. And here it is. Here's the place. Every boy begins with a doubt that he can be a man. Every boy begins that, with that doubt that he can be a man. He starts out wondering if he really measures up to manhood. And that's the secret. This is the process for every boy. It's the quest, the quest for every boy to become a man. And the way that it happens is that he needs to hear the call of God to manhood. Every boy. And that's the secret. Now, if you're here as a man, you're sitting here and saying, well, I don't have that problem. I don't, you know, I didn't go through this doubting whether I was a man or not. Let me tell you, I'm glad to hear that. It means it worked. It means it was largely successful in your life. Now, I feel like as, as men, we never actually stop growing into our manhood. Even people my age are still, I'm still needing to grow in my manhood. But if, you, but if it is achieved in large measure, you may forget what it was like. You may forget that place when it was a question, when it was a doubt for you, because every boy starts there wondering whether he can really be a man, whether he really is a man. Now, there are many things, there are many things that derail and threaten to derail this train, to thwart that mission, especially today in our day. It is not a quest that is guaranteed success. So let's take a look here at this, at this template, what I'm calling a template here for coming into manhood to see what we can learn here because it's, I think it's very illustrative for us and very illuminating to, to take a look at what's going on with Samuel. So here we have Samuel in verses 4 through 8. <laughs> and this, is, this is a typical boy. Here is, here is Samuel cheerfully missing his call. Okay, Not once, not twice, but three times. We have the boy Samuel blissfully unaware of what he is called to. And more importantly, who is calling him? Okay? And I just want to point out that this uncertainty, this misinterpretation is every boy before he becomes a man. Especially, especially in times, verse 1, where the word of God is rare. See that? It is dark times, verse 1. The word of God is rare, verse 2. Verse 3 develops that. It's dark. The priest can hardly see. The lamp of God hasn't quite gone out. You know, some of you appreciated um, Bob Dylan last week. I can give you Bob Dylan again. Can't even hear a murmur of a prayer. It's not dark yet, but uh, it's getting there. Right? It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. There's ancient Israel. Here, uh, Bob Dylan singing about ancient Israel in verses 1 through 3. And Samuel, okay, again, here's a boy. 
flops down and sleeps. He's sleeping near the ark. You see that? You know, I read this, and I, and I kind of read it as, you know, he, he doesn't really um, seem to need a bed. <laughs> He's like many boys who, who don't really care where they go to sleep. Um, they can just go to sleep anywhere. It's just where they're comfortable, go to sleep, flopping down. I know when I was a, when I was a boy, I remember I, I, you know, I had my room, and I didn't think I had, I had enough space, so I actually stood up my bed against the wall so I could have more space in my room. I just slept on the floor. You know, I just, you know, I didn't care. You know, so, uh, so this boy here, Sam, is sleeping wherever he's comfortable. Um, I, I'm not sure he's supposed to be sleeping here. It says he's in the temple. There is no temple, so we'll take that as the tabernacle. He's in the tabernacle, and he's by the ark. <laughs> okay, if if he's actually inside the Holy of Holies, he's not supposed to be there. This is not supposed to be, he's not supposed to be in there, okay? But, you know, it's ambiguous as to where he is. If he is there, he's not supposed to be there, wherever he is. I think the point is that he instinctively is drawn to the divine. He, he, this is where he's comfortable going down. And so this is where he goes down. And it's near the ark. He's instinctively kind of feeling this draw toward the divine, but he doesn't know what it is. That's what I see going on here. He doesn't know. So this is a boy tugged to the divine, but not knowing what it is. And that's the quest. That's the quest to correctly identify for a boy these urgings, these rumblings, the call. And so what we see here, I'm going to give you three misresponses, three mistaken responses that boys go through on their way to manhood. Okay, three misresponses. We can see them here. Three ways in which they, they, there is that rumbling, there is that, that instinctual call, but uh, that, that instinctual drawing and calling toward, from God, but, but it's... There's a misresponse. Okay, a first misresponse. Misresponse number one is to misidentify the call to be the lesser Eli voices of their lives. Is what I'm calling the, the Eli voices of their lives. Okay, the, the boy hears the call, but he identifies it with lesser voices. And, you know, that's our boys. Our boys are prone to mistakenly respond to the rumblings, what I call the Eli voices, okay? And so it is, you know, with getting lost in video games, right? Video games is give, gives a sense of adventure, right? An experience of rescue, a semblance of accomplishment, of achievement. But then a boy will misidentify that as the thing, and instead, he will spend all his time there. You know, video games uh, last year in America um, drew in $56 billion. $56 billion. You take hardware and software combined. $56 billion. And that was just one year and just one country, the United States. $56 billion. So what's going on there? You have guys who are 
playing Call of Duty, but not answering the real Call of Duty. They're responding to Ragnarok, the god of war, not responding to the real god. So it takes up all their time. I'm not saying that, that uh, video games are bad, but it takes up all their time, this Eli, instead of guys stepping into the, the quest of life, which is the real adventure. Another kind of lesser voice is the siren of pornography, right? which, which comes of a desire for connection a stirring of driving passions, which are good and are meant to drive a boy toward responsibility, drive a boy toward intergendered relationship, toward that things, those things that will make him marriageable. That's what it should be doing. Okay? Instead, the boy mistakes this for a lesser voice, and he, he comes um, into, he enters into sexual pleasure without the experience of laying down his life, without relationship in his life. So a boy needs God to come close to him and to wake him up with his word. So that's the first thing, kind of misidentification of the calls. Okay, let's see. Second thing, another kind of misresponse as the boy is scrounging around on the way to manhood, we hope, we pray. But these kinds of things, they just, they happen in the boy's lives. Misresponse number two is to give in to the fear, to respond in fear. You know, if you look at verse five, verse six, verse eight, we have Samuel responding in this way to God's call, where he's running away from the ark. You know, we, we tend to read this and we think of it as this innocent story, like, isn't this cute? Oh, the, here's the call. He, he thinks it's Eli, and so he's, he's running to Eli, you know, and it's really God calling. Like, isn't that a sweet story? Friends, but you look at what's going on here. He is at the ark, verse 3. He is at God's presence. The ark is God's presence. And he hears, and he's running away from God's presence. He's running away from the ark in this, scurrying away from God's presence. What's he doing? He's running to the familiar. He doesn't want to face the unknown. That's scary. That's work. And so he's giving into this fear, instead turning to the familiar. This is what happens. You know, I was, a um, guy was telling me that he was praying one time, and, you know, he, he felt this instinct. He wanted, he knew that he needed God in his life, right? And so he was praying for God in his life. He was just praying one time in a room. And he started to have this experience when he was praying of the, of the, of the presence of God. And I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but, there, but he had this thing where, it was as if God was in the room with him. He, could, he was feeling palpably the, the presence of God, I guess, in, you know, in answer to his prayer. Um, 
If you've ever had that experience of like, I was very, he got, it was very intense for him. He was feeling the presence of God. Now, what do you do in that situation? How do you respond? Well, you know what this, this fellow did? He went out into the kitchen and had a bowl of Cheerios. That was his response. His, his response was like, whoa, this is too much. He, he went out into the kitchen and had a bowl of cereal. Turned back to the familiar. So this is what's uh, going on here. It's like Gideon in the, in the wine press. And God sh- shows up to him to say, you know, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon is hiding there, trembling in the wine press, trembling about the Midianites. It's that tendency, it's that temptation to, to give instead, instead into the fear, the fear of the unknown. Not turn towards the unknown. Not face that. It's misresponse number two. Oh, our boys. So misresponse number three, and this is probably the most serious one, I would say. I know these other ones are serious, but this is what I would say most serious one. Misresponse number three is to lose hope that you can be a man. To lose the hope that it could happen, that you could be a man with the gifts that you particularly have, with the, with the personality and the person that you are, that you can be a man. Now, this is something very important to understand about your boys if you're, if you're a parent is that it's important for us as parents to be able to find our child's gifting and to help him to see how that gifting is used for manhood. To understand biblical manhood so that we can say and show him the pathway and why his gifts and his particular giftings are the way in which he becomes a man. Because that is the the thing that's attacking the very quest itself. Can I be a man? Am I a man? That's the question, the doubt. And our, if, we're one, if we're loving someone, if we're loving a boy, we are going to try to help him to see how his particular giftings, which are probably going to be different than yours, actually help him on this quest and how they they can be used in, in coming to manhood. And, you know, there's a real danger now, what I see, in, you know, the uh, school curriculum, the public school curriculum, very young, to start out uh, actually going in the opposite direction. They'll ask these questions in kindergarten. Do you, of a boy, do you like pink? You know, and if you like pink, well, maybe you're gender nonconforming, you know. Or if you, uh, you're a boy and you like art class instead of recess, mm, you know, maybe you're a little bit different. You're a little bit gender nonconforming. You know, and they, so the idea is planted very early on that you're different. And that's, when you get to junior high school and high school, it's kind of amplified to say, well, you know, you really are different based on these uh, com- cultural stereotypes, which the Bible would completely reject uh, and teach against. But it brings, the, brings uh, some guys to the point of, you know what, You're, it's, it's the very thing that's, that's, op- that's it's against the quest. 
because it's bringing boys to think, you know, you really are not like other boys. So there are these other options, you know. And this loss of hope is what's there behind many, it contributes to many seriously, many serious problems, such as not going in that direction. Say, no, instead I'm going to go in the direction of being a girl. Seems like less work. Seems like an easier, easier job. And there are other things going on there, but that's a big thing as well. Or it's, it leads to a very serious situation of suicide. You know, I've spoken before about the men's suicide rates and how they're high, not, not just high, they're quadruple those of women. Do you know the two most common words that appear in men's suicide notes? Two most common words you see over and over in the suicide notes of men are worthless and useless. Worthless and useless. They've lost that hope. So we need to help them respond, help them hear the call, hear that call and identify it to come forth. Now, I have now counseled and, and discipled many young guys, and it became clear to me over time that what I was doing, my, what my job was in the situation, was to be that hand on, a, on, on the young man's shoulder just to say, you can be a man. You are a man, and you can be a man, just to say that. And that was it, you know? I mean, not disingenuously, not uh, say, you know, just give them a line, but to be recognizing the gifts, praising the things that are good, and calling him to the steps that are before him to take. And in this case, verse 9, Eli fits the bill. In this case, Eli does well because he is the one who redirects the boy's attention to the real call. He's the one to say, no, you know, these rumblings that you have, they're, they're really a call of God to something important in your life. Eli here is the one, is the hand on the shoulder. And it's, it's so needed. It is so needed by men. You know, I'm, many sons now are at a disadvantage because their fathers don't know how to do this or don't want to do this or are not there to do this. You know, in a divorce culture, six months after their parents separate, uh, or six years after a parent separate, one-third of American boys no longer see their parent, no longer see their father again. Six years, usually, after parents separate, a boy will not see his father for the rest of his life. So that hand is missing. They're at a disadvantage. And you, if you are a parent, you need to be bringing him to the, to the Lord's beckoning. You need to be this Eli in a son's life. And to do that, you know, you have to break the cultural silence. You know, you have to be able to, you have to, be able to say, you know, there is this thing, masculinity. There's not just toxic mas masculinity. There is this thing, masculinity. You have to be able to break the silence, talk about it, to be that hand on the shoulder, because that's what they need. Even you look at biblical characters, even the, 
great king to be, David, needed this. You know, David was not someone who showed a lot of reticence in taking the reins early on in his life. But even him, at different points in his life, desperately needed this hand on his shoulder to tell him that his life as a man was real. And very often that hand was supplied by his much older friend, Jonathan. Jonathan was there. Because David needed, he, he had these moments of doubt and despair. You can read about it in the Psalms. And he, he needed that hand on his shoulder. And very often it was Jonathan, um, this older friend for him. And the, the, the thing that comes out when that hand goes on the shoulder is this. What you have is something important to do. I know this, this quest in the video game, it seems important, but what you actually have to do is something much more important than that. So that the son feels the importance. You know, you don't, you're not just becoming a man in order to become a man. You're, you're becoming a man in order to answer the call that God has for, you, for the important work that you have to do. And do you see that was... That's what God does here. Do you notice that in verse, verse 11? When he finally does get Samuel's attention, when he finally is in, in dialogue with Samuel, or he has Samuel's ear, look at what he does. The first thing he does, verse 11, he tells him how important this is. He says, I'm about to do a thing that will make the ears of anybody who hear, hear, hears it tingle. <laughs> Why does he have to say that? You know, what's he doing? He's, he's saying, you know, this is so important. Anybody who hears about it, their ears are going to vibrate. This is how important this work is. And I want you to be a part of it. I'm calling you. I need you to be a part of it. I need you to mature to, for this work. That's what's going on here. And it was important work. You know, Samuel was being called to give hope to the entire nation to defeat the Philistines, to bring kingship into being. And I tell you, it happened. Because he responded, the nation was transformed under the ministry of Samuel. Transformed. Because of him, because he, he answered this call. And it started with this word, which I can tell you with absolute certainty, certainty Samuel did not want to hear. If you listen to what, what it was, first job, first job here, Samuel, very difficult. He had to go to his father figure, his, his kind of adopted father, his mentor, with a word of judgment. You see that here in verses 15 through 18? Very difficult, very scary, right? Some of us have trouble confrontation even as adults, right? Imagine as a kid, this is your first task. This is what you have to face. <clears throat> you have to deliver this word to your, your father mentor. Very hard word. But you know what? He does it. He does it. He was scared, but he does it. And that is the moment he becomes a man. He's correctly identified the voice of God, and he has responded to it. And because he did that, all the other things followed. You know, there is a great need now for our boys to become men. 
because there is a great deal of spiritual opposition in our world to the work of God. I mean, it's a great time to be alive, actually. There is a lot of, there are many important things to do. That's why it's so important for our boys to become men. God has important things. So, before I come to a conclusion here, of just as promised, take a look at this. Um, I have to see if we have questions. Okay, thank you. We got a few here. Um, do you believe, <clears throat> this is, maybe take two of these, and we can deal with the rest on the, on the chat. Um, do you believe that some men can follow Christ wholeheartedly by choosing a life of celibacy? For example, Paul and Jesus himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an important part of uh, important experience in the Christian church, in the kingdom. So thank you for bringing it up. You know, it's certainly true that men can be celibate and serve the Lord if they're called to be celibate, and they can be celibate. Well, the way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7, right, is, is that he had a gift. He said, you have this gift, it's good, you know, and, and he's saying it's actually in some ways better, you know, and so we want to acknowledge that. It's always important to have women in our lives, relationships with women in our lives, but not necessarily marriage. If you're not called to be married, you're still called to have sisters in your life and to be responding to them in a, in a brotherly way. But absolutely. So thank you for bringing that up. If you are called to follow Christ um, as a single person, a single man or a single woman, we want to honor you and make sure that you know that's legitimate in the kingdom of God, and it's, it's something that God does sometimes. Okay, I'll do one more here. Um, top one here. Okay, continued. Uh, this is a longer one. Pornography is not an issue of someone getting needing to be married. That's damaging to a marriage, nor is it a solution. The spouse becomes a fix for another's sin. The young man is wise to wait to get married until his porn addiction is addressed. Manhood isn't an, an answer to porn addiction. Please reconsider this view, Sam, as it is very damaging to give this type of advice. Okay, good pushback here. So... Someone's saying getting married is not an answer to porn. I would say it's not a complete answer, but it is part of what's going on here is the problem that we have guys who are addicted to porn and need to be taking steps to be to, toward marriage because they do have good desires that would be answered, that God has designed an answer for in a wife. So it's not the complete solution, I would agree there, but it is part of what needs to be brought out especially in counseling young men. Now, there are other things, too. But to, to, say, to, to say, well, uh, no, first of all, you know, you have to solve this problem, and then you can start dating. I would, I would just uh, respectfully disagree with that. Um, it's just guys need a lot, and this is one of the things they need, is to understand what they're feeling and want to pursue. There's a design for God has made it in marriage. All right, we can talk more about it. Thank you very much for those um, questions there. And let me just say, 
that in conclusion here, one of the things that is great about what we have now is that we are in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives us that help. He's able to give us what we need as men because he became a man, right? Jesus Christ became incarnate as a man. And so he went through this human quest for manhood. He overcame the doubt, the fear, the distractions. And what's more remarkable is that he did it while he lost his father. While he lost his father growing up, as, as far as we can tell, father died during Jesus' um, time of growing up. And yet he still made it to manhood. He was still able to hear the call. So he understands your disadvantages. If you're feeling here, it's like, well, I didn't have that hand on my shoulder. He understood that. And yet he overcame that. He recognized the call of God in him. He took the steps. And he became masculine. How do we know? Well, he acted to stay with the needs of his mother, even to the cross. That was masculinity. He recognized and affirmed his sisters in ministry with him. That was masculinity. He was there to secure his bride, us, his bride, he secured by laying down his life for us. That's a man. And so he's already done it. So in the ways in which we need help doing it, he is there to put our, his hand on our shoulder. And, and the, the principal thing that he gives us is to tell us, you are already in the presence of the ark. You know, in Jesus Christ, He's there to say, you know what? You're already there by the ark. You need to roll over and say, speak, Lord, for the Lord, for your servant is, is listening. So this is, this, is, this is what Christ gives us. And this is what we have in him when he puts his hand on our shoulder. The one who is putting his hand on your shoulder, is the one who has been through it himself and has done it. So we can respond to him now and respond to his call. Please stand and let's respond.